Hi, I'm Gian. And I'm Kimmy. We are two vibrant women excited about connection. We're interested in everything from self-discovery to the breakable and unbreakable bonds that weave through our various life stages. Let's talk about identity. What about intimacy? Sex. Partnership. Friendship. And parenting. And let's do it with our characteristic candor, compassion and curiosity. Absolutely. You are in for a treat. Gian is super funny. (laughs) And Kimmy has incredible insights. Learn and grow as you eavesdrop into our unscripted and warm conversations. Welcome to Connected. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Oh. Not all men have yeah. a high libido. No. In fact, a lot of men have low libidos. Yes, actually. And it's not socially acceptable or at least not talked about, even amongst women. No, absolutely right. The expectation is that the man will have the high libido and the woman would have the low one. And when it's not like that, there's like a, I don't know, shattering of expectations or a real pressure on both parties, I think. Yeah, I would say that would be an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, you have a real um, a real passion project for this sort of stuff, Kimmy. I do. Yeah. Do you want to know? What has been your experience of different libidos in intimate relationships oh, within what you feel comfortable sharing given that we are one part of the parties involved? Yeah, that's a really wonderful question to kick off with. I, as you know, I've got a very high libido. Yes. Yeah, so even in terms of when we stereotypically say that men have high libidos, which a lot of men do, <laughs> I would I would probably say that my libido would be even higher than that. Okay. Yeah. So I just wanted to let you know that because it frames my experience of Absolutely. other people's libidos. So I have had the experience throughout my sexual life of being with men who have libidos that could match mine. Mm-hmm. That has not been the norm. Interesting. So of the of your experience, the yours has most often been the higher libido. Yes. And overwhelmingly I have been with men who have had low libidos or libidos that have been easily affected mm-hmm. by stress, by an argument, by lifestyle. By life. By life. And that has been a really uh, eye-opening experience for me to have because my libido doesn't change with those things. Okay, I would be more like the other person. My libido definitely changes based on life. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so it's – Do you – I don't know a whole lot about libido, so what do you know about in terms of why that is that sometimes people's libidos change based on life? Do you know much? I don't know. Oh, you know, I probably should have done research because I was in this situation for so long. Uh, I, I don't – I honestly don't know. I wonder if it's just like personalities. People are um, kind of in the same way that, you know, you can have two people in a stressful situation and one person can perceive it as traumatic and the other can go, meh, it was just a bit stressful. Yeah. I almost wonder if it's a bit like that. I can, I can speak for myself and say that um, my libido increases even more when I'm – really in my body and I have an embodied way of living and I'm not in my head. I think I have yeah. had moments where 
<laughs> I have been in my head and I'm always up for sex, but it's never as good. For me. Yeah. It's never as connected. Yeah. I'm not connected with my body. I'm probably not connecting with the, my partner. And I think for me the key has just been to really settle into my body. What does uh, the breeze feel like on my skin? What does the warm sunlight feel like? And just be really mindful, centered. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I can relate to that. I know when um, when I'm stressed, I'm and I've said this to to my husband. I'm just too up in my head right now. Yeah. And so I, when you said, "Oh, it's when I'm in my body that the experience is the best," I think that is so true. Yeah. So one of the practices that work really well for me when I notice that I'm up in my head mm. is that. Um, I would ask him to lay on top of me for a while so I could feel his weight on my body so I have a sense of where my body is. Mm-hmm. So we just lay there and maybe just for a minute and I'm just back in my body then. Yeah. So things like that. Yeah, that's such a good little hack, isn't it? Like, you know, and it, I think if you've got a trusting relationship, you can have that conversation without there necessarily being pressure for more. Like, I mean, obviously for you, you have a higher libido, but there are other people who might be listening that don't and it can be about the connection experience rather than about a sexual experience like it can be the connected part of sex rather than oh it has to be penetrative sex with an orgasm yeah yeah Yeah. I feel like that touches on another element of sex for me and that is that I wonder if my libido is affected by the fact that for me sex is a a form of communication and communion Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about getting off. Yes. I could do that myself. Yeah. I do do that myself. I don't need a partner for the getting off. I mean, yes. it's beautiful. Yeah. But for me, the meaning of sex is connection. Is, yeah. Yeah. And communion and being able to communicate something without words. Yeah. And, and also you take a different communication journey when it's physical. Mm. So I will, I'm the type of person that will often – if, I, if we're in a sort of a conversation where it's not looking like we're going to keep connected mm-hmm. in that conversation, I will ask, can we physically be intimate? Because then we're it. connected. Then we're on the same page and we can pick up the conversation later. That's such a different perspective than what I'm used to hearing. I love that it's about the connection, not about the physicality of, of something or like you said about the getting off yeah. because I think that particularly in – the media that we're shown that is what the purpose of sex is being portrayed as, that the purpose is for one or both parties' physical enjoyment, not the connected because there's so many levels. Oh, absolutely. And the interesting thing is that when you focus on that deep connection, Mm. it just feels better. Mm -hmm. It feels so good throughout it in my experience Mm. that it really doesn't matter if you have an orgasm or not because the whole experience has been – pleasurable you're not focused on an outcome you're really just present and both people understand that at any time anything could happen one person says you know what that was really beautiful I don't want to continue that never happens (laughs) you know know, but it would be safe to yeah 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 so there so I usually orgasm really easily but there have been times where I I haven't orgasmed first And it's been so beautiful, the whole process, that I really don't need to. I don't need to have that experience. I think it really comes down to what is the 
purpose of engaging in sex is, doesn't it? Like, you know, you think about if you're going to have a conversation with someone about whatever the topic is, you know going into that that the purpose of this conversation is X. If you're going into a sexual experience and the expectation is the entire purpose of this is for orgasm, then that's a completely different expectation for both parties than the purpose of this is for us to connect and have a meaningful experience with each other. I I just, I see so much of this in like the mums that I know postpartum, but even like anyone who's in a relationship, there's not a lot of people who you generally feel safe about going, hey, how often are you and your partner having sex? And, And it's not even so much the question of how often, but what is the purpose of you guys having sex? Is it to communicate and connect meaningfully? Is it for both parties to have a sexual need met? Is it like, what is the value of of that form of connection. Yeah, and I think sometimes we don't, we haven't examined what the meaning is, mm. what does it mean for us. And I, I think it's a it's a big deal having sex. So vulnerable of, a, of like an experience. Yeah. I think uh, having a self-pleasuring practice mm-hmm. facilitates the ability to use physical intimacy as a mode of communication. Okay, tell me more about that. Because... The getting off part mm-hmm. has already been achieved. Mm. Well, your needs are met. Yeah. You know, you're satisfied in that way. You, you know yourself mm-hmm. much better. Um, I think just from a, a hormone perspective, you're healthier. Mm-hmm. And it's not like you are relying on this one person to give you an orgasm. Yes. So a lot hinges on that. Like that's There's a lot of a pressure, lot of pressure. On, men, on both parties to have an orgasm. I mean, there's a reason there's so many things in the media about women faking it. <laughs> yeah, I think there is a lot of pressure on both yeah. people, a lot of pressure on men as well. I just yeah. I just feel like it's a really generous thing for me to do as, as a partner mm. to look after myself in that way mm-hmm. yeah. and enjoy whatever happens in the yes. space with him and to really keep that sacred. Yeah. Oh, I just think that's such a beautiful way of looking at it of having an experience be just what it is and both parties looking after their needs and their partner's needs so that, like, you know, you've all got an expectation going in of this is the purpose of our connection and I will look after my needs and you look after your needs and together we'll look after our needs as a couple. Like, Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I think think we lose sight of that sometimes. I I know for me I have not always loved – my own my own values around sex. I think um, I've had a lot of expectations that I've put on myself that have not been what I want to value. So what I mean by that as in I would describe myself as a feminist and so I believe that both parties should have a positive experience and that it should not be about all one party's completion. <laughs> and yet I would find myself getting up in my own head about the fact that my libido was low and then I needed to meet my partner's needs. And I am so lucky that I have a partner who is not, I shouldn't say so lucky, this should be the expectation for all relationships, that my partner would never pressure me to do something that I don't want to do. And yet I would pressure myself yeah. to go, I need to meet his need, not necessarily. And I think part of that is the the um, values that I had around the purpose of this activity are to meet his needs, not 
to meet both of our needs and have a mutual connection. And so I think the way you've described how you see sex as so beautiful because I, I think we lose sight of what is the purpose of this experience together. Yeah. And if you view it from the point of connection, then I think some of those layers that I know I've definitely experienced of the pressure to participate in something maybe I didn't want to, but the pressure was being put on by myself, not necessarily a partner. Now, I, I know there are other women out there who the partner does put pressure on um, and I don't feel like that is appropriate <laughs> because of my own personal values around relationships and consent. Yeah. From my experience, just picking up on your point around mm. feeling the pressure that you put on yourself mm. to meet a partner's sexual needs, mm. so to, to pleasure him mm-hmm. without an expectation of being pleasured in return. Yes. Well, not I should I should clarify without an expectation of having an orgasm as well. Yeah. Um, some people call it finishing off or mm. whatever. When you take the perspective of sex and love making is uh, is a communion and communication Mm. I think you view offering someone something really differently yes it's almost as though you're contributing to a conversation when you're giving to Mm. that person and they're receiving what you have to say in that moment Mm. it's a really profound experience and I'd be really curious to Mm. hear if you decided to experiment with that oh yeah what your your personal experience with that would be? Yeah. I have had different periods of time in my adult life where my libido has changed with life, hormones and all the rest of it. And I have ended up sliding back into those, what I think are socialized ideas around sex and the purpose of it rather than what it is that I consciously value around sex. And so I'm more aware of it now. So when I start to, you know, feel apprehension around something I'm more conscious of okay this is those old ideas showing up because this is what I knew about sex from when I was younger and it's not necessarily how I value it and how can I think about it differently and I think just like from taking away in this conversation that the thing that I then tell myself after that would change which is this is an opportunity for a communion this is an opportunity for a connection and and so much of the conversations when we do talk about our sex life are so kind and compassionate and that there is such a deep caring for the other person Mm -hmm. that we want the whole experience to be positive so it's sort of like okay how can we look after each other in this but I know there's a lot of couples out there who don't even talk about sex at all Uh, absolutely it's like the taboo in the cupboard and I think I'd be really interested to know, do you have any tips, I guess, that you would want to share with people about how they could introduce the topic to have a conversation with an intimate partner about their sex life so that they could move towards a more connected experience? Gosh, that's such a big question. It's a huge one. It is a really big (laughs) question and I'm not a relationships therapist or a sex therapist, but the first thing that comes to mind is it's it's an inner job you know I think it's really about exploring what does sex mean for you what are your core beliefs around sex I know that's a very like cliche what are your core beliefs but it's really what are you believing here what are you thinking Mm. where is the source of the fear for you around talking about it do you have a safe partner to talk about 
with this. How are you going to cope emotionally if the conversation doesn't go very well? Because it may not the first few times you bring it up. Depends who your partner is. How safe everybody feels about it. And and the communication skills that both Mm. people have. I mean, (laughs) it's easy to say go to a therapist to have that conversation. But a lot of people aren't going to go to a therapist. That's say, very even, confronting. Even getting in the door can be a big challenge for, for couples. They don't want to go and say to somebody else that we want to talk about sex, never mind have the conversation with each other. Yeah, and sometimes not all therapists will handle it effectively either. Absolutely. And I know that from personal experience, having gone to a sex therapist. So, yeah, I just I feel like that's a really big question. To <laughs> your advice before about <laughs> get connected with yourself is so true. Get connected true. with yourself physically too. Yeah. So I think that would give confidence, even if you're not disclosing to your partner that you self-pleasure mm. or masturbate, whatever you want to call it, mm. um, you're developing that trust and that confidence within your own body. Yeah. I think um, when I have had issues with libido and talked about it with my therapist before, that was their advice too. So yeah, they were like, go and do the things that help you be connected in your body with yourself as a sexual being. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, you know, it might be go buy the lingerie, but buy the lingerie for you because it makes you feel sexy or go get a sex toy and work out what it is that you like yeah. just by yourself. Like get more than one. Yes. Try d- different ones. Totally. totally. A lot of different, beautiful ones out there. That's mm. another podcast maybe. There is a whole <laughs> other podcast. Maybe we'll end up with like sponsors for vibrators, you know. <laughs> Yes, please. Can we have samples? <laughs> and, um, and I think also developing alternative languages of movement. So for me, I started being, I, I lived in a sexless marriage um, mm-hmm. for a decade. And one of the ways that I brought back in a language of movement was to be to go swimming. So I started swimming laps because I was touched on all surfaces of my body by the water. Um, I took up belly dancing again and then Zumba. And that really was a very embodying practice. Have you ever done pole? I haven't. No. I would like to try. I have visions of myself really awkwardly having my <laughs> legs like cocked up in the air and getting concussion because I've fallen on my head. But I would give it a go. <laughs> I would give it a go. Yeah. What I always you? Wonder, have you done no, pole? No, I haven't. And I it's been interesting. I've caught myself like looking at um, – you know, social media of other people who, because we have a pole studio where I live, they have one. And I've sort of like looked at them and been like, oh my God, I'd never have the confidence to do that. And then I've kind of gone like almost admiration for the fact that these people are connected to themselves enough to like get out there and give it their best shot. And I'm wondering if that's sort of how belly dancing was for you. Like I'm connected to myself, but also connected to myself as a, like being able to feel sexy and Absolutely. And also following the lead of an instructor, particularly for Zumba. So it just happened to be that my first Zumba instructor was male. Mm -hmm. So that was a really positive experience for me because I had the experience of surrendering into being led in a movement. Yes, being led when we're strong, independent women. It was beautiful. It was very very empowering to surrender into that. Yeah. And the surrendering helped me get back into my body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a really positive thing. There's a, a Netflix doco about pole dancing. Is there? Uh, yeah, and I forget the name of it. I'll have to let you know later. Some of our listeners might um, put it in know. the show notes. Yeah. yeah. We'll definitely put it in the show notes. But th- that's, I've watched that twice. I can't believe I can't remember the name of it, but definitely recommend okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's going to be my challenge to go try a pole dancing class. <laughs> yeah. 
I might need to work on my coordination before we get there. You could work on it as you go. Mm. Mm. And I think it's about, like you said, it's about feeling empowered in your body. So whether that's a pole dancing class or a Zumba class or swimming mm. or dancing in your own kitchen in your underwear. like Oh, I do that too. Oh, and the other thing I did too is now that I'm giving away all my secrets <laughs> is I've got this deck and it overlooks bamboo. Yep. And I love the rain and I love getting wet. And so I have this practice in summer mm-hmm. when we get all the storms mm. that as soon as it starts raining, I literally strip everything off <laughs> and I will go out onto my deck. No yeah. one can see me because of the bamboo. Yeah. And I will just either stand there or I'll dance. And now my kids are so accustomed to this. That <laughs> they strip off as well. They're yeah. still little. They get out there and do the same thing. It's uh, freeing. It is so it's just so liberating mm. to be that connected mm. unselfconsciously to nature. It's a very organic, very nourishing. I recommend it. Yeah. It's a very nourishing experience. But it was really funny because I the last time this happened, my um, oldest son had taken a photo of me <laughs> <laughs> without me knowing. <laughs> and I accidentally found I'm like, who's whose bare bum is this? (laughs) Oh my God, that's my bare bum. (laughs) Look, I haven't seen myself from this angle. (laughs) Do you have any practices that help you feel like you're in your body? I find it's about some of perhaps the practices that I don't do that actually help me stay in my body. And I know that's going to sound odd. Oh, I am so curious. Yeah, like I find I find I have to disconnect from social media. I end up not in my own body. So I like have to sort of stop the consuming of everybody else's content and start going, no, what are you doing in your, like get connected back into your life. I find reading really helpful really yeah how is that helpful for you to get back Um, into your body because that's a very um cognitive yeah it depends on the on the book so if I'm not in my own I'm talking more like libido wise if I'm up in my own head and struggling I will find reading like a fantasy romance or historical romance erotic fiction yeah really yeah absolutely like because it's not a case of that the desire doesn't exist, but that I'm overthinking it. And so, and I think it was fascinating. I read this thing about a study where they were saying that women think that they don't have desire, but they do. We're just not very attuned to it. They did a study where they showed a whole of women at essentially pornographic images or things that would be likely to be sexually attractive or desirable, right? And they monitored things like heart rates and pupil dilation and mucus secretions. Um, and then and then they asked the women to report their level of desire. Oh, wow. And the physiological reactions were there, and yet the women's reporting of their desire was that it wasn't. Wow. Like there was almost like this complete, like we said, this disconnect from their body to how they thought they felt. And then they asked men to do the same thing and the men's physiological reactions reflected exactly how they felt they were very in tune with their physical response to desire and I was like oh my gosh this makes so much sense and it's almost like it's not as socially acceptable for women to be as in touch with their desire or like there was definitely a obviously across the board experience for women 
to not be as in tune with their body's Mm. physiological responses to desire. And I almost wonder if it goes all the way back to you need to be a good little girl and not be over-sexualized and be desirable but not too desirable, like attract attention but don't attract too much attention. And, you know, like I could get into my feminist rant here really hard. (laughs) But I I wondered how much of it was that stuff that we don't even realise is happening, the really unconscious beliefs that we're taught about what it means to be a woman and to be sexual. Yeah. You may have a very different opinion. I feel like you do. Yeah. Tell me. A lot of things, you're seeing things percolate. And one of the main things that is percolating here is the trust that we place on our bodies and yeah. how we reference to the, to our bodies. And when we get to the point where consulting our bodies as a form of intelligence, yeah. you know, that just opens up. A if whole you're not other trusting your being. own body, then of course you're not going to be in tune with your desire. Yeah. So I so as you were speaking, um, I was half listening to you, <laughs> like zoning, <laughs> and just thinking to myself, how do I reference to my body? And I, because just hearing you say those women didn't understand, like they couldn't pick up, it's such a foreign experience to me. And I was trying to understand why. And I think it's that I am always referencing to my body. So I have a self-pleasuring practice that involves a lunchtime practice. Like I'm constantly, Mm. what does my body need right now to be energized Mm -hmm. or connected or whatever? What, what is it telling me? Yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting. You asked me, what do I do to stay connected into my body? And I went, I know the things that I do that don't keep me connected to my body, but I don't know that I have as consistent of a, what are the steps that I do to stay connected in my body? And a topic for another episode, I actually think part of it's related to history of chronic health. Oh, yeah. That'd and pain be really and all awesome that. Too. Yeah. A practice that's really good nice and easy that may work is um and I know it sounds ridiculous but at the end of your work day have a shower Mm. even if you have to have another shower before bed because you don't want to smell like the dinner you've cooked even if it's just a two minute shower have a shower wash the day off wash the day off put some moisturizer on some clean clothes that's a very embodying practice it helps center you because we often just plow through our day and as women we carry a cognitive load. Yes, huge. Have I met people's needs today? What needs are currently there? What are the future needs? And so we're, that's a lot in our heads. Mm-hmm. Um, and often our needs are not the ones that we're asking the question for. But what I'm hearing you saying is you're going, I'm asking that question and that's how I'm staying connected to my body. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have a shower. It's like that feeling of when you've been at the beach all day mm. and you have a shower and it's summer and you get a fresh dress on and put so some moisturiser cool. on. Yeah. And you just feel at peace in your body. We can have that every day. And how freeing would that feel? So good. Yeah. There we go. Ladies and gentlemen, tip for today is have a shower when you get home at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. And, um, yeah, we can explore this more, some different ways to stay connected in our bodies because I think the impacts are not just to intimate relationships. It's to everything we do. Mm. That'd be an awesome discussion to have next time. All right. Stay connected.